Hello and welcome to this special episode of Blood on the Thames, a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast and livestream. During this very short break between books 1 and 2 of the Chronicle, we're going to release four special episodes of the podcast, each detailing the embrace of one of the members of the Coterie. It's worth noting that these were recorded prior to the release of Vampire's 5th edition, and use the 20th anniversary rulebook, for the astute amongst you that notice that something seems a little odd. However, the events are wholly canonical, and nothing has changed about these characters with the introduction of the new edition. And so finally, welcome to the death of Katia Stern. So you experience this moment in your room where this individual who you've cited, um, both at some of the rallies, outside of the rallies, um, in a very kind of sporadically placed mirage of moments that you've you've seen this individual at different places. You've seen him watching you. The, the discomfort that you felt was kind of peaked at the moment where you went to check on your, your roommate and in that moment you saw him there. And then it... It ended, you woke up in your bed. Since that moment, you've had a strong, paranoid sensation that you are still being watched. You have not seen him again, and it's been a few days now, but the the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and this every time you go out, there's a moment where you think that you see him just on the edge of your vision, or you can hear his voice somewhere just down the corridor, but every time you turn and look, he's not there. But there's occasions where you hear him, you hear something he's saying, and though you try and recall exactly what the words are spoken, you can't for the life of you, but you are certain you heard them. And it doesn't make sense. And for a while you think it's perhaps exhaustion from lack of sleep or something similar. But then, finally, after about two weeks, it climaxes with you actually seeing him again. However, he's not watching you this time. As you're moving down the corridor, moving back towards your room at the end, you see him at the end, turning and facing away, offering a passing remark to somebody that you recognize. And as she turns, you recognize it as your roommate. And she watches after him as he walks down towards the end of the corridor and he stops, glances back, and you see him clock you. And he considers you for a moment and then just turns and continues on. And then he's gone. When you ask about him, and who this individual was. She doesn't seem to register what you're saying, who you're on about. She asks, she thinks that perhaps you're referring to another student that you've seen her speak to or uh, someone else that's in the dorm, but she doesn't recall this individual that you're speaking about. And it's it's frustrating, it's, it's anger-inducing, it's confusing, because at, at one moment you think that she knows, she must, she'd just spoken to him, you've just seen her exchange words but the sincerity behind her confusion is alarming. And it only gets worse when the very next day when you return to your room, she's no longer there. Her, her area has been cleared out. All of her possessions have been taken. The, the bed's been turned over. She's no longer there with you. And when you ask around um, the people in the, the area about where she's gone, they they just said, well, well she, she's, she's gone, she's finished. Um, not quite certain. She was just here the the previous day with her family. The bags are gone. She's gone. Congrats, you've got a room to yourself. Everybody seems envious, but to you it's... It's harrowing that all of this seems to be escalating and that you know this guy has spoken to her. And it's quite... 
alarming that all of a sudden she's gone. So what is your immediate reaction? Um, so at this point, um, whenever I leave, whenever I leave my, my dorm room, um, I, I carry my keys like out, I carry keys between like in my hand, just this kind of paranoia. Um, at some point I, I go out and I'm passing, maybe I'm on my way back to my flat, um, my, my room and on the way home, um, I'll, on impulse, I go into a shop and I'll buy uh, like a pen knife or something, something I want to carry with me because this kind of paranoia is following me around and I keep, I always have this in my, my coat pocket wherever I go um, and I just try and try and convince myself that if anything happened, I'm prepared. I've got my, I've, I've kind of, I'm always aware of where I can kind of contact someone. I've always got what I think is a bit of defense with me. Um, and I try to kind of comfort myself with these thoughts that I am preparing myself. I'm prepared for, for whatever might happen as best as I can. And it's almost this, uh, this kind of ritualistic going through these steps I could take in my head that tries to calm me down. Um, and I kind of approach it very methodically like that to try and keep myself kind of grounded. Okay. Well, the measures you take, it it comforts you to a degree. You, you think that if something is going wrong, even if people seem completely oblivious to it, all, all apart from you, because you have asked other people whether or not this individual has been seen. And even the principal himself says he'll keep an eye out in case you're concerned. Uh, the, uh, the dean, uh, sorry, uh, the, it will keep, uh, keep an eye out in case uh, an individual that matches the description is seen, but no, no one seems to recognise who this guy is, or, or no one else admits to sighting him. But you, you know, he's been here, um, and it is a sensation that even though you, you, you feel better knowing that you're, you're armed, or that you are in a, in a position where you can better prepare yourself and defend yourself if need be, the the idea that you are alone in this and it is a sensation which is growing each time you wake up and you look over at her bed and it's now empty it's dawning on you and every time you go to sleep it's something you think about and every time you wake up it's something that's there and you can still hear him there's an occasion where you fall asleep and you hear his voice from the other side of the room and as you turn and have a look you could swear for a moment you can see him peeling apart the covers, her standing up and moving, and him crawling in. And you you see it crystal clear, and as you reach for the light and you flick the light switch, he's not there anymore. There's no one there, but you, you can still see the imprints in your eyelids of the shape of him doing this, and her just standing there obediently. But then it's empty again. And then, as you finally convince yourself that this has to be either exhaustion or someone playing a trick with you, whatever excuse you can give yourself to try and come up with an, ex an answer for this, the sensation that you're being watched fades. But you, the paranoia doesn't. But you no longer feel like he's there in the room with you every time. And then one morning when you wake, the room doesn't feel the same. There's an immediate sensation you have that this is wrong because the temperature's wrong. It's, it's no wrong. The room itself was warm when you were in there, whenever you were in there, because it was clustered. It was always warm, but this place feels cold. And 
as you reach out from your bed to find the light switch, it's not there. And in fact, the wall's not there. And as you reach past it to try and find the light switch, you feel stone. And as you kind of get up, it's exceptionally dark in here. And the other thing that you note is that whilst you are still draped in something, it's no longer your duvet. And these are no longer your nightclothes. Whatever you are currently in, it's a strange fabric. It's a comfortable fabric, but it's a strange one. And the room smells different. It doesn't smell like you're accustomed to. It smells old and clustered. What do you do? Um, immediately, um, I will, obviously I'm sitting bolt upright. Um, I'm tr gonna try and feel around my immediate vicinity. I'm looking for any any objects I can hold in my hand. If there's just any, any kind of thing I can touch, anything I can try and, um, try and recognize the kind of place I am, uh, to try and just have some semblance of familiarity of, of anything, really. Okay. Uh, do wits plus alertness force. Uh, difficulty five. Just one success. Okay. It takes you a long moment. The, the, the realization that this is not your room has you heat into the panic and as you kind of reach around trying to reassure yourself that this is a pot uh, potentially a dream you you have the instinct to pinch yourself or whatever but it feels real in every sense the smells are real you can you can hear noises but they're muffled and then in the next instance there's no sound whatsoever apart from the sound of your heightened breathing and as you pull away whatever this fabric is that's on you you get up and you stand and you f you feel the edges of the wall and if you were Uncertain whether or not you were in the room before, you are definitely convinced now, because as you move around, the wall stretches far beyond whatever you were lying on. And as your feet touch a very cold floor, which you now realize you were lying on the floor, this is not your room. And as you move around, eventually you manage to come to a light switch and you flick it, but it doesn't come on. And then at the base of your feet, as you're moving away from it, still trying to find your surroundings, you feel something move against your foot. And as you reach down, you realize that it is your rucksack. You can tell that based upon whatever adornments you have, you immediately recognize the placements of them. And you know this is yours. It's sealed, but it's yours. Okay, so, um, I can't, obviously, it's still almost impossible to see, um, but I will pick up the rucksack. I'm gonna put it on my back. Um, just so I've got it close. Um, after like, I'll very quickly like rummage through just to try and quickly see is, is this like, does it feel like usual, like weight, the amount of stuff in there, does it feel like my, my things? It, the, what you feel inside are your clothes and you, you notice this immediately, it's just an assortment. It's not, it's not any specific type of outfit, but you do recognize them by feel. Mm -hmm. Um, it feels more like, um, just a normal top and, and some trousers. Um, there are shoes in there as well, but there's there's nothing else. And the place where you feel for where you had your knife stowed, it's not there anymore. Cool, so I will zip bag up, I'll put it on my back, and then um, <clears throat> I kind of feel my way back towards where I think I started, where I woke up, and you said there was some kind of sheet like over mm. me. I'm gonna kind of pick that up and hold it in front of me. And then um, I'll try and find my way back to a wall and try and start following it along, uh, like very slowly, trying to be very quiet, um, like almost like holding my breath the whole time as I go. Okay. 
you follow along the wall and it stretches for a good 10 meters off in, in a singular direction. Um, and you, you feel around for anything out of the ordinary, just, just out of instinct, your hand rising, lowing, uh, and there's nothing there apart from bare wall until you finally come to a point where your hand brushes against what feels like wood in front of you. And as you stretch along, you feel a doorknob. And I'm assuming you can open it. Very, very slowly. It very, very slowly opens out towards you and immediately you have to blink away as there is a, there is a rush of light that comes in to meet you. And it's very jarring. The, the room that you've just come from, pitch black, but now you can begin to see just the outlines of the door, very, very old looking wood, and just beyond a straight corridor with rooms on either side. All locked door, all similar to make to the one that you currently have. And it takes you a long moment to let your eyes adjust. But there are almost ornate looking, uh, electrical, but ornate looking uh, lights just adorning in pairs the length of this corridor. Okay, I'm assuming there are like no windows or no. <coughs> any way out to see. Cool. Um, so I will kind of poke my head out slowly into the corridor and first I'll like listen to hear are there any sounds that, that kind of strike me that I can kind of decipher. Okay, perception and plus alertness. Difficulty eight. It's as quiet as the room that you just left. You can hear the very slight of the electrics pulsing through the bulbs as you glance towards the one closest towards your door where the source of the illumination that's pretty much just blinded you came in but beyond that there is there's no sounds beyond your breathing there's there's no other movement in whatever place you're in um, but the more that you study it the more it feels like you've stepped into a film from the 50s it feels like the decor even though it, you couldn't at a glance name the, the different periods, it seems very outdated. It's like a very, very stuck in a ways traditional grandparent has decided to decorate this place <laughs> and will only acquiesce to the, includement, the, the inclusion of electricity just so she can see where she's going. Otherwise, it is very, very old fashioned. And as it stretches, you can see now that your eyes have adjusted, it veers off towards the left and directly from the door that you've entered in it veers off again, almost in like a kind of box shape. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, still holding this kind of blanket in front of me, um, I kind of inch out into the corridor and I'm trying very hard to uh, kind of channel the adrenaline towards like a kind of a fixed, determined, um, almost like the anger at what's, what's going on and like the anger at the confusion and trying to focus on that rather than like the fear and the, the will to just kind of lose your head and panic. Um, and um, kind of not really knowing difference either way, um, I, will, I will strike off slowly it towards the left hand of the corridor. Okay. The, the sensation that you had previously that the, the, the area is cold, particularly the room you've just left, it doesn't improve as you move off even though there's the the electrical light sources it feels almost like the further you go down this corridor and it's unnerving just how similar this corridor looks to the one that you've just the one around the corner it's almost like you're looking down the exact same corridor and if it didn't veer off towards the right you'd swear you perhaps had taken the wrong one even the the pictures upon the wall are identical to the one in the other corridor and as you move forward every step you take it's almost as though someone is turning the, the temperature down by degrees 
and it takes you a moment to kind of warm up as you pull the blanket closer to yourself, more out of instinct than anything mm. else. It doesn't seem to be helping. And the fabric that you have in, in this blanket, which was used, it's very fine. It's, it's very fine quality. But it's not necessarily one that was you use to warm yourself. It's more just there as a for decor than mm, anything yeah. else. Um, but as you move down this corridor and you finally reach the end, there are two turnings, one going off to the wards the right and then just further down from there, one going off to the left. Otherwise it forks and goes straight forward and left. Okay. Um, do either of these routes look um, more kind of more major as if they're like a main corridor and these are offshoots or are they all the same sort of width? They all seem to be almost uniform in terms of width and length. Okay. Um, I think for now uh, I will carry on uh, straight ahead. You move off towards the end of the corridor and then you, you come towards this fork and glancing down it as you, you're moving off, it's again identical to the one that you've just left. Mm -hmm. The exact same art, the exact same placement, the exact same distance from where you are currently standing. And you go, you glance back to check and it is the same. It's almost like you are looking at one of those pictures where it repeats upon itself. And you get the strange sensation that even though you are moving in one direction, it's almost though you, as though you're looping yourself. It's it's incredulous as a thought it, that you are doing this, but it's it. There's something that is telling you that this is the same corridor, and it's insane as a thought. But you you continue down that corridor, but then as you stop and you glance back, there's a, a strong instinct you have that this isn't the right way. Okay. So I'm going to open my backpack and mm -hmm. take out um, if there's just like a sock or a t-shirt or whatever kind of, um, probably probably t-shirt if there's one like that, something like that in there. Um, I want to see if, I, if there's any way I can maybe tease out a thread or something. Okay. Yeah, that's it's easy enough for you to do. I mean, you work away at it and you yeah, wear it. Yeah, like fray it until I can get yeah. like a. So you manage to pull one off. Yeah. And it, it's a sizable thread. It's. And then I want to try and tie it around a uh, doorknob of one of these many doors, uh, like next to me. Okay. Um, and then when that's tied off, um, I want to start uh, with this feeling that this isn't the right way. Um, I want to start walking the other direction. Okay. So you walk. You, you tie it up tightly around there, but make sure that it's noticeable, and then turn back towards the corridor and veer back left. And you can see at the end of the hallway, the door that you'd progressed through is closed, even though you'd left it open. But you step forward again and make your way towards it so that you can take the other tool in. And just as you're about to pass it, you stop and then glance back. And then you, you could have sworn you felt someone move past you. But then, as you glance back, they're not there. So you turn back towards the corridor that you'd intended to move down as an alternative. And you almost feel your stomach drop when looking up this corridor, you can see the fabric of your sock tied around, not one of the doorknobs, but every single doorknob leading up this way. Okay, so again, it would be a moment of like, just, taking a deep breath, trying not to panic. Um, and then after kind of taking a moment, just like really trying to just keep it together, feeling like um, that feeling when you're really 
getting that panicky feeling that your throat starts to close up and you start to kind of, you're, you can't really think rationally about things, just really trying to fight that just for that moment. And then um, when I feel able to, um, I want to just double check the ceiling straight up, see if it's just featureless or whether there's anything, anything there. It's featureless. It's it's white and, or cream in colour stretching down. It's like everything else, it seems very old and faded, almost like it's not been cared for for a while. But as you glance down, there's there's a few areas where it's worn and torn, but then you turn and glance back down the corridor that you came from, and the it's mirrored in the patches. I think she will try uh, having, she uh, the door that she originally came through is shut and they're all the same, I presume. Mm -hmm. So um, I think she's gonna try the doorknob of the nearest one. You move up and touch the doorknob, and it begins twisting in your hand. Um, I immediately um, stand with my back flat against the wall to the left of the door. Okay, have you but, opened it? Um, if it started twisting under my hand without me moving it, um, I took my hand away before, expecting the door to open and okay. someone to be there. Uh, I just took my hand away and immediately moved to the side. Okay. Um, it opens. And as you push your back towards it, you glance. And there's a cool breeze that passes through, even considering the temperature in this this corridor. But there's no one moving through it. And as you kind of watch, you can see there's a flickering on the door, almost as though there's a light being reflected out. Even though this is illuminated, this is, it's what little shadows are upon the door, just purely because the door itself is now blocked, one of the can uh, one of the, the electric lamps, the shadows seem to twist slightly, almost as though there is a fire in the room be just being inside. Um, so, again, taking it slowly and carefully, I would look inside. Okay. Kind of expecting to see the same room I came out of. You look inside and it's not. For the first time since you began wondering that something new greets your, your vision. It is a very large, very ornate room but there's little in here to decorate, although what is there is again, it looks very archaic, very dated. Um, but against the far end of the wall, there are two high back chairs and both of them are pitched towards uh, what looks to be a very large, very fully in force um, uh, fireplace. And there is a, a small table that sits between the two, almost like uh, a place to put brandy or, or something similar, like an almost drink tray, but it's empty save for a single glass that's filled with a clear liquid and you glance at the back of these chairs and for a moment you think that no one's there but then it catches you when a hand just drapes along the side you can't see who it belongs to but it's very 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 pale um, and unmoving but you can't see who it belongs to very very slowly and trying to be as quiet as i possibly could um, I would enter the room. Dexterity plus stuff. <laughs> okay, two successes. Okay. You begin moving into the room and immediately there's the, despite the fear that you're feeling in, in, in not only the impossible you've just witnessed outside, but the the warmth of the fire coming and greeting you by comparison, the temperature's rising, but almost be uh, as soon as you breach about three or four steps 
the hand that's draped over the edge just stops and then just points towards the other chair. Um, moving sideways, I would start by skirting around the very edge of the room, um, moving kind of uh, parallel to this arrangement until I was at an angle where I could see who was sitting in the chair. I'm still, I'm kind of holding, I'm still holding this blanket in front of me as if um, I would, as if I'm kind of poised to like chuck it over someone who, if someone tried to accost me, um, to give myself more time essentially. Uh, and I'm still holding it like very defensively as I move around to try and see who this is. Okay. You begin circling around, giving yourself a wide enough berth that you, to try and make yourself feel safe. But as you move around, you notice immediately that this is the exact same gentleman that you've spied on multiple occasions. Dressed in what looks to be a very thick kind of jumper, old kind of uh, comfortable, but almost, almost grandfatherly type of uh, just trousers. Um, and he's just sat with his, just still pointing, not looking at you, just looking at the fire. And it's remarkable just how still and how pale this individual looks. Under any other circumstances, you'd probably swear that this was either a mannequin or um, somebody that had been posed in death or something similar. But because the stillness that he has, even as he, even as you watch him, even as you circle, and you, you're at the point now where he can definitely see you in the peripheral of his of his gaze. But he's just not looking at you. He's just pointing. My eyes just fixed on him for any any movement or any, really for like kind of anything and obviously having no idea how I would react to, to anything this individual might do but thinking that I, I could. Fuck is this? If you sit down we can have a discussion. He's still not looking at you but his voice just very calmly just echoes. Still slowly and still keeping my eyes on him. Walk over to the chair and stand kind of next to it but hesitating it's kind of not well I really don't want to sit down but at the same time I'm kind of desperate for answers and just trying to work out what the hell's going on sit down Katya I think at the mention of my name um, I would sit but uh, like uh, fists that were kind of like balled up and extremely tense. The moment that you're, you descend into the chair, even with his finger still poised, pointing towards you, he very, very slowly turns and looks at you. And the reflection of the fire in his eyes almost makes him appear more alive. But the stillness is still there. And he just stares at you for a long moment. This wasn't supposed to happen this way. This, what, what is this? Do you know who I am? No, I know the fuck you are. I've just seen you a hundred times already, but no one, no one I see speak to you even acknowledges you exist. How am I supposed to know the first thing about you? Well, and there's a long pause, almost like he's weighing what he's saying. But there's a very calm, almost aloof and uncaring manner, that, both towards his posture and the way he's just glancing towards you. 
This isn't the first time we've spoken, Katya. Now, if you will calm yourself, I will explain. This is actually the 14th discussion we've had. Well, we'll have. In the past, me and you have spoken at length, at least half of the time. A few of the other the few of the other occasions you've offered me threats. On a few other occasions you've threatened to report me to the police. On one occasion I was escorted off your campus grounds. But you don't recall those, do you? No. But you do recall snippets. I don't know I don't know what what you've been doing. I yeah, yeah, I've heard your voice before. I wouldn't say we've spoken, I'd say you've we have spoken. At length. And every time, you disappoint me. Which is why I wipe your mind and we start again. And again. But I've run out of patience and I've run out of time. So it all comes down to this. You have one chance, Katya, to prove my investment is not wasted. So I'm going to be honest with you about what's going to happen next. And like it or not, it will happen. But what I want to know is whether you have the maturity and the willpower to deal with it. Because thus far, you've done nothing but frustrate me. And I believe that I've chosen wisely. But I suppose that remains to be seen. Either way, I'm running out of time. So here is what I am going to tell you. I've been observing you for some time under the impression that you are ideal as a candidate for an experiment that I am planning to undertake. I, I represent a number of individuals who have an invested interest in advancing a very outdated mode of thinking. And I've looked for a while for a candidate that I believe could further that goal. And I think it is you. Disappointing though you may have proven so far, I do believe that you are someone who can help make that happen. And if you're not, well, then I bear my social disgrace with all the tolerance I can, and I move on. I move on. Whether you move on is up to you. So here is what's going to happen, Katya. And I remind you to treat this calmly. Because you will remain seated. And you feel a strong, almost lethargicness go over your muscles. It's almost like someone that's just 
knows they need to move or they need to do something, but they it's almost like they need to double check themselves to make it happen. But as he's watching you, you just feel that sensation just curl through your body and you can't seem to unlock eyes with him. You're going to die now, Katia. You don't have to remain that way. Because, believe it or not, life continues after death for some of us. I'm what you, kind, would call immortal in that sense. Now, based upon the shock going through your system at the moment and the ways you've reacted before and the snippets of memory you're beginning to recover, I don't think you disbelieve me. So what do you think I am, Katya? Some, some, sort of, some sort of cult? You believe I'm a cult member of what? No, I, I haven't associated with anything of, of that nature. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going on. I, I, I've so told you why you're here and what I plan to do. And as I've said before, you have no choice in the matter. But you do have some choice about what happens afterwards. As I said, you need not stay dead. I can explain what that means once we're through and the process is completed and we will have all the time to answer all the questions you want to level at me. But for now, I need to make a decision about what I'm going to do with you. And this all comes down to you. You can fight me. I will kill you and I will move on. You will be forgotten. I will make sure nobody knows what happened to you. Or perhaps they will discover that you committed suicide or something similar. Based upon how erratic you've been acting lately, it would be hard to turn that into a story that I could sell. Or I can make you what I am. In doing so, you will become part of my experiment. You will prove me right. You will get results. You will not disappoint me again. Or you will die. Do you understand? I understand there's, it seems like there's only one uh, way this can go. But I understand there seems to also be two different options beyond that. And I am all for the option that involves not coming to a, a full stop, if you will. 
Do you drink, Katia? Not much. I recommend you start. There is a glass there. There is a multitude of drinking options there. You will fill your glass up and you will drink. Then you will return to your seat. If you make a break for the door, I will break your legs. Do you understand? I do. Do it. I get to my feet and reluctant to ever take my eyes off this man, I walk over to where he motioned and tear my eyes away just to have a glance at what what is what is there. There he's watching you this entire time that you're moving off. Still unblinking, still unmoving, save for the movements of his lips whenever he speaks. And that sensation that you felt prior to coming here, that sensation that you were being watched, even though you're now physically being watched, it's almost like he is watching you from every direction. And as you come up to the end, it's very hard to push him from your mind and focus on this myriad of bottles in front of you. And you have everything from the, from extremely fine whiskies to spirits uh, and wines and everything there that could possibly be there. And they're all largely untouched. The bottles themselves, um, for those that can keep, look dusted. And some look like they've recently been purchased. Um, none of them are open, but there is, uh, there are glasses there, and he's still watching you. At this point, um, I'm in this slightly, not, not hysterical, but in a state that it's almost too ridiculous, it's almost too confusing and, and absurd that because of that, I just kind of go along with it, and I will take a bowl of white wine. Okay. Um, do you just take the bottle, or...? <laughs> I'll take the bottle and okay. uh, uncork it or unscrew it, depending on, obviously, how okay. the seal is. Okay, and drink will, it where you are, or...? I will pour it before I drink it. Okay. I won't drink from the bottle. <laughs> are you drinking from the wall, or are you returning to the seat? Uh, I will pour at the wall, and then replace the bottle sealed properly. Uh, back where I took it from and return to my seat with the drink. Okay. He just watches. And then I'll take a very small sip. Just watches. And I think for a moment um, my eyes would flick towards the door and there'd be a long hesitation where in my mind I'm trying to run through all the possibilities, all the ways in which it could end, all the all of the the, the kind of the likelihood that could I make it in time, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but as I'm thinking that, I'm already kind of having another sip, as if I'm just kind of just compelled by the absurdity, the insanity of this situation, just to carry on a path that almost seems normal, almost seems very mundane compared to everything else going on. Mm. He continues to watch you drink and there is, he has now become entirely still. Not speaking, his lips aren't moving, his eyes do not blink. The paleness of his skin is contrasted by the flicker of the flames over to the side and you no longer feel the warmth whatever sensations and fear you're feeling it's it's no it, it's numbed you to the sensation of the warmth next to you but all you can feel is the gaze and even the liquid going down it's it just it's tasteless 
and then even as all these thoughts go through your mind the liquid gets smaller and smaller in quantity and then it's empty put the glass down put it in the small table in front of us that blanket and the backpack put them down I put the blanket down and then we'll slowly kind of put my backpack on the floor on top of it I've already fed. So I will give you at least this much. You can choose to bleed yourself or I can do it for you. This really is some kind of cult. Um, I I'll 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 do it. Behind you, and as you glance behind you, just over on the side, so the either uh, to the one side of where the fireplace is, you can see a small ornate box in there. Again, I'll slowly get up, keep my eyes on him, and uh, walk over to it and open the box. Okay, inside is your pen knife, the one that you purchased from the store. Take it quickly. Um, Where's kind of that kind of possessive motion when you recognise something that's yours um, when you're not expecting it to be and um, pace back to my seat and uh, and sit down, kind of holding the knife in one hand kind of feeling that I kind of know where this is going He's still watching and I kind of a little bit kind of okay um and I kind of lean forward, hold my um, kind of my hand over the the wine glass, as if to say, "Well, I, I doubt you want me to get it all over, like just spill it everywhere." And then just kind of meet his eyes, like he just waits. This is, this is insane. <laughs> what am I doing? And try and like fight with that self-preservation, that kind of that instinct that stands in the way of doing something like this. Would that, would that require a, a willpower roll, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So way to have the first botch. <laughs> okay. You hold the blade there and your hand is quaking. And not only because of the realization of what you're about to do, but the sheer feeling of the eyes on you. and against your better judgment and against all sense of pressure you feel within your own mind to do it, do it. You haven't got a choice, do it. Your hand suddenly releases and the blade drops and against your better judgment you fly from the chair towards the door. But the moment that you release from the chair you feel something very, very, very sharp and very, very, very quick flash past your face and it takes you a moment to realise what it is and he's stood and as you turn and glance towards him he's standing there with what looks to be a very ornate letter opener that he's just pressing a finger to it and you notice that the knife is bloody and it's then that you as you try and speak you realise nothing's coming out and 
something's wrong and you can't breathe. And as you lift a hand up, you realize your throat has been sliced. And you begin to stumble and try to move towards the door. But then as you take a step, your balance starts to go. And you start try to speak, but nothing comes but a gurgle. And you can feel the wooziness coming. And as you stumble, there's just a blinding pain going through and you can just hear the step, the step, the step. And as you kind of fall to your hands, you feel something grab you on the shoulder and lift you back and you hear, I told you not to disappoint me, Katya. And then he just pushes you down onto the carpet and you hear the steps recede back towards the table and you hear him in descend into his chair and it's startling how the details of everything around you suddenly become crystal clear and you can hear the the flickering of the flames that they kind of crack as the as it kind of twists against the logs and you can feel the fabric underneath you and you can see where the blood just begins moving over the carpet away from your throat and you can feel the numbness just going in your limbs and then the sensations start to go first of all the sound stops and then the light becomes less and then the only thing that you can feel is the And then even that becomes less. And then there's nothing. And then suddenly, you have no idea how long after, there is a blinding pain, more so than what you experienced a moment before, as you feel in intricate clarity, the sensation of your throat knotting as the skin begins to seal. And you, the moment you can feel it, you also f feel and remember the taste of something incredible, something that blinds you from everything else around you, every, even the situation you're in, it is incredible. And it feels like it's giving you the power to do what you want, to get out of here, to wake from this nightmare. And as you kind of regain your sense, you look up towards this individual who is with a different gauntlet just pouring it down your mouth. And it's the same individual that you were speaking to. And as you drink from this cup and it's all gone, the cup just falls away from your hands and you begin clutching at him, trying to get more. It's all you can seem to think about and he just pushes you away and just lets you f fall upon the ground. You have no strength to come back up and you can feel the last sensation as the wound closes. And the moment that you do, you just hear, right and he leans in and bites. And then that delicious flavor is suddenly overcome by a mixture of pain and pleasure that you have never imagined and you've never experienced before. And your body goes even more limp and you can feel that little ounce of life that you had moments before go. And then the taste returns. And almost for a second, you can hear 
as your heart beats one last time. And then the sound slowly returns. But this isn't like before, this is this is new. There is edges to this sound, this this noise that you hadn't recognized before that had been absent from the room and and it's in a kind of haze that you recognize this this is the fire, but it's different. And this is the tread of the carpet, but there's something more to it. And the sensation of him just lifting away the goblet. And you can see the bloody wrist just through the transparency of the goblet of himself. And then he just licks it almost in a kind of absent manner. It's a detail that you note even in this haze of newness. And he just stands there and watches you as you kind of twist on the carpet and your body begins going into spasms. And it's unpleasant, but at the same time, the the wave of new sensory data, the, the wave of knowledge and this, this newness just overtakes you and it's a mixture of pleasure and pain that you've never experienced. And then just as it reaches a climax, it stops. And you become very, very still. And it takes you a long moment as you begin just glancing around at this room, which is lighter now than it was before. You try and realize that something, you realize that something is wrong, but you're trying to work out what it is. It's, it's not the fireplace, it's not the tread. You, you, you know they're there, you can hear them. You can, you, you feel the, the shift in temperature. You know the fire's still going, you can see the reflection, but there's something missing. And just like a clock which stops and it's only then that you realize that something's missing. You, you, you're absent the lifting of your, the chest as you breathe. You're no longer breathing, and even your eyes aren't moving anymore. But then you, you blink, and it only happens because you force it. And you can feel underneath your hands the carpet as you kind of clench your fingers. And it's almost as though you're moving them for the first time. You have to will it to happen. And he just continues to watch you, and then just gestures, just as he does everything, towards the door and the case that's there, kind of an ornate wooden case. Open it, Katia. And his voice is louder than anything else, but not because he's speaking loud, but because it reverberates in your ears, and it's almost like there's a new clarity in what he's doing. Your senses immediately leap to him before anything else. And as you kind of glance towards this box, there's something that draws you towards it. And you realize that your nostrils are flaring unwittingly and you can smell something. You can you, you feel something and your stomach clenches in a way that is exceptionally painful and incessant. And it's not abating. In fact, it's getting worse and it almost feels like your stomach is being pressed. And as you begin moving towards it on all fours, there's a desperation in the speed that you pick up. And then you throw it open and inside looks to be just vials of red. And it's just in a line, a meticulous line. I would take one without, it's without the, without any of kind of like the, the careful um, motion and care that I use for the, the wine bottle and just like with definitely like clasping it too tight, just kind of wrench off whatever kind of cortical stopper is there and um, follow the instinct, I imagine. 
the cork, the, the stopper comes off and you just down it. And the moment that the liquid goes through, it's, it's lukewarm, but it's incredible. And that clenching in your stomach for the briefest of moments abates. And then your nostrils flare and your eyes in, of, of their own accord are moving between them and your hands are moving of their own accord, pulling off files. There's no longer any kind of delicacy to what you're doing. You're wrenching and it's coming to your lips and then you're wrenching and it's coming to your lips. And there's almost like an animalistic urgency in everything you're doing. And the more that you take, the better you feel, the more awake and alert you feel, the more in control you feel in an ironic sense because what you're currently doing is not you. Something else is making you do this, but you feel alert and awake and alive and more in understanding and that clenching is slowly abating and the relief from that pain after experiencing so much of it is all you can think about and you have more and you have more until this large ornate chest which was filled with vials is now empty and all around you lying on the carpet is just a host of dirty, well not dirty but bloody vials which have been almost licked half clean from as far as your tongue could get in as you were trying to clean them in a very undignified fashion but as you finally finish that haze of urgency just very slowly abates and the pain in your stomach hasn't fully gone but it's gone enough that it's no longer overriding every sensation you have and and it takes you a moment to realize exactly what it was you were just ingesting and exactly what's just happened to you in the last however long it's been since you tried to run for the door. I think uh, I would, I'm sitting there still for the moment, just processing this, this kind of tsunami of information. Um, almost kind of this grimace that's this weird kind of smile of disbelief and horror. Um, it all seems so ridiculously absurd, so so impossible and ridiculous um, that it just cannot register as 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 truth. It it's it just seems like it's it's false. It cannot be true. It's it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. And I just continue to sit there for a while and then very slowly I'm just kind of like looking at all this detritus on the floor in front of me um, very slowly I pick up uh, a vial and pick up a discarded stopper and just put it back very slowly just trying to occupy myself with a menial task and just put it back and I do it again and I'm just kind of like staring straight ahead with this grimace just trying to occupy myself with something mundane to something mundane to latch onto in the face of this ridiculousness mm. um, that I'm just unable to process all at once. Okay. You you know he's still watching you, uh, but now he's watching you back from his chair. But there's no longer the feeling of inherent danger that you had before, and he seems completely happy to allow you to do this there's no urgency and for as long as it takes you replace all the vials and replace the stoppers and put them back in in not necessarily an orderly fashion but as, as best as you can in your kind of fugue state and 
when they're done, what do you do? Um, I close the case and just try to get to my feet. Just try to do little things that I could do before, things that make sense. Uh, like a stand. Um, just look at my, my hands, my arms, just try and f- see what it feels like. Um, look around, just try and like take in all this data at once. There is a coolness to your, your flesh as it goes down, and there's a lack of coloration, and you realize, even as you're watching it, you're any trace of rosiness from the digits and from your face which you can see just in the reflection offered in one of the pictures on the wall it's slowly abetting almost as though it flushed back and was just very very slowly receding and it's horrifying to watch the transformation of a face you recognize into a face you'd expect to see being buried or a face you'd expect to see as a you know, in a shop window, it, it's inhuman how you look, and even as you stare at yourself in this flex- reflection, just as small and distorted as it is, it doesn't look like you. And you touch your fingers to your lips, and you can feel the moisture of the liquids that you've you've just taken in still there. And against all impulse to the contrary, your lip, your your tongue just dabs out and and samples it again. And the moment you do so, it that sensation, that pleasurable sensation of imbuing something incredible is there, but then it's gone. And then you feel again, and there's no pulse. And you feel there, and there's no pulse. And you check again. It's impossible. There is no pulse. How are you moving? How are you seeing this? How are you feeling this? And you feel for your neck. Where is the cut? You know the cut. You felt the cut. It was there and you glance back towards the table and next to where he is sat there is the knife there is that bloody knife with your blood it is there and even as you glance it it suddenly becomes a fixation for where you are because you can see the liquid and the initial thought of that is my blood turns to that is blood and against your own judgment you begin walking towards it and that pain in your stomach begins clenching again as you approach towards the table are you still going? I am, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to fight it. I'm trying to exert some amount of self-control. Yeah, self-control. Just difficulty four. Straight self-control. Yeah, difficulty four. Not instinct. No, it's not instinct. <laughs> You're not so bad. <laughs> okay, so that's two sixes and a nine. Okay. Despite every single instinct in you telling you to pick it up and taste it because already you are associating blood with the, the, the feeling of relief and pleasure and you fight that and just move around although your eyes still linger on it you manage to get yourself to the ta- uh, towards the chair and just descend into it and you find that he's just watching you just leaning there very casually very for all intents and purposes just looking like a man who is completely at ease with everything that's just happened. I attempt to try to find my voice. I'm not even sure it's still going to work the way I feel like it should. Part of me thinks I know what's happened. 
but <laughs> that's part of me I usually don't listen to. And that might very well be why you are here now. So tell me, Katya, what does this voice tell you? This voice tells me that, well, I just consumed a cabinet full of blood. I had to fight not to lick my own blood off a letter opener, which is frankly sick. And say it. Feels like <laughs> fucking vampirism. That's precisely what it is. Right. Although we prefer the term kindred. I see. So kindred. Does this does this make us family or something? In a sense, I suppose, although the technical term for it is sire, whereas you would be referred to as child. I see. Not that far from uh, popular culture then? No. I'm the individual that has made you, and thus I am responsible for you. Do you recall what I told you before your ill-advised attempt to run? You said there were two options. Either I stay dead or I don't. Do you want to live, Katya? I don't think that's an option. I think, don't think this is quite the same. Then allow me to make it more specific and more accurate. Do you want to exist? Yes. Well, then there aren't two choices. There is one choice. You are existing now because I have need of you. For some kind of experiment? Yes. The people that I belong to, and now by extension you belong to, are outdated in the way that they are approaching the world. The challenges that are here, which I will explain at length, when you are more calm, we are not prepared for. So you are my means of helping to advance my clan into the modern age, provided you perform in that then you will have security. You will have a community. You will get the chance to exist and not just exist for the duration of however long you would have lived before. You will get the real chance to exist indefinitely. You will get the chance to find answers to questions you didn't even know you could ask. If you serve as intended, if you do not, I will put you back on that carpet and you will not get back up from it. it. 
doesn't have to be tonight. It doesn't have to be this year. It doesn't have to be this decade. If you do not comply, I will remove you. Do we understand each other, Katya? Yes. Excellent. Then I will answer your questions. Not all of them, not now, but I will answer what I can, not just because of necessity, but because as barbaric as what happened was, perhaps it's imposed upon you the gravity of the situation you are now in. So the questions you ask, I recommend you treat them with all the respect and importance they are due. I will answer as best I can. Right. What happens about everything else? For everyone who knew who I was, I can't exactly ever let them see my face again. No, you can't. But they are unimportant in the grand scheme of things. You will learn to get rid of such senseless attachment in time. But how you go about that in the immediate future, you consider that to be your burden to bear. However, it is worth me adding the following warning. What you are now, you can never share with anyone else. If you tell anyone, show anyone, suggest to anyone what you are, you will be destroyed and they will be destroyed for their sake and for yours and for the sake of my reputation what you are is a secret do you understand yes then your next question where do i where do i go from here where where do i where do i live well Given the difficulties of living in modern-day London, I would highly recommend you remain in the Chantry. Which is where you currently are. The Chantry is a safe haven for those of our clan. You speak of clan? I do. How... how many... How many kindred are, are there? Within our clan or in London? London. Hundreds. Although that number dwindles, depending on the whims of the prince. I suppose these are all... These are all words I shall understand fully in time. They are. Next question. Assuming not every room in this chantry features a replenishable case of blood. I assume there are protocols to retrieving it for oneself given its, its apparent necessity. Yes. The sensations that you experienced when you were indulging I fed you a fair amount of my own blood before you fully regained your senses. 
So what you experienced there was but a taster of what you can expect if you do not remain satiated. What you are now is kindred, and kindred requires blood. Now the manner of which you gain that blood, well, every kindred is different. Some prefer brute force, some prefer persuasion, some prefer seduction, some prefer more supernatural methods, I suppose. The use of, dis well, disciplines, but how you feed, that's entirely your matter, provided you don't breach protocol. The protocol of secrecy, or as you will address it, as the tradition of masquerade. As I said before, secrecy, you are expected to keep what you are a secret. And that extends to feeding. How often must it be done? Well, that, again, largely depends on you. There is a whole host of capabilities at our disposal. Things that we can do that the kind can't, the mortals. And doing these things requires the expenditure of the blood that we have ingested. However, merely existing over a period of time also requires the expenditure of taken blood. So, if you are unwise in your utilization of your blood, you will be feeding often. If you are sparing in your gifts, you will be satiated for a longer period of time. However, if you do allow yourself to grow hungry, there is an inherent risk. I... I want to know more about this experiment. Good. Your purpose in being here is, as I said, to bring our clan into the modern age. There are other clans. I won't go through them all now, I will teach you that at another point. What is important is these clans have been progressing. They have been adapting to the modern age, technology specifically. Now, our clan, our clan is not quite as progressive. And the purpose of you being here is to assist in that oversight. Given our current standing with the other clans, you will also serve as a more welcoming face. Was that why I saw you at the rallies? Yes. Makes sense. I wanted to make sure that you could speak to people. And you can. He glances towards the fireplace and towards the ornate clock that's above it. And in the instance that he kind of glances at it, you feel a very, very kind of strong, quite sudden, lethargic sensation going over you. It's similar to the one that you, you experienced when he told you initially to sit in the chair, but it's stronger. It's slowly seeping over you, but it's strong. Dawn, we will speak at another time. For now, you will sleep 
in the room that you awoke and we will speak tomorrow night. I will answer your questions at length, provided they are prudent, provided they are immediately relevant. Your lessons will not be thrown upon you in a heap because you will forget things and that will result in you getting killed. So you will learn progressively, we will teach you, but first things first, tomorrow evening you will meet with some very important individuals of the clan and you will make your loyalty clear. This is not open for discussion. If I wake and find you not here, I will bring you back and I will destroy you. How does, how does one such as, such as us die again? Well, if you flee tomorrow night, you'll find out. Otherwise, I will teach you in due course. For now, you will return to your room and you will slumber. You will wake tomorrow and I will explain more. You may leave now. I stand. I take my my rucksack and I take the blanket and I pace towards the door, just uh, trying to keep a steady, steady speed, try, speed, trying to keep my shoulders squared, trying to not show how how messed up I feel in in my head, how terrified, but also agonizingly curious how, how incredibly just absurd this all still seems how little I have how little I have any idea of what's going on and I walk through the door and head to what seems to be most likely the door I came through originally mm -hmm. which given the kaleidoscopic nature of the corridor um, I try the door opposite the one I came from. It is the same room. And as you step in, the darkness overtakes you again, but with your heightened senses now, you recognize this very Spartan accommodation and the blankets which had been arrayed there, which you had slept on. And you move towards it, and that lethargic feeling begins to intensify. And you lie down, and you're not sure how long it takes, but before long, it just goes. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Blood on the Thames. We really hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making them. If you want to watch us playing live and interact with the cast, find us on Twitch at 7pm UK time every Monday. Follow us on Twitter for latest updates, but most importantly, thank you. We couldn't do this without you. <laughs>